Good morning, everybody. Hope you all had a happy Thanksgiving. This series is about prophets in exile. When the children of Israel were taken into Babylonian captivity and then Persian captivity. I'm going to be talking today about Zechariah. Now, Zechariah, he was a prophet towards the end of the exile. And he, there were, they, a few people had returned and they were getting ready to rebuild the temple. But they're having a lot of adversity because they had vacated Israel and Judea and Jerusalem, and now they're coming back and, they're and they had the authority to build the temple, but there were an awful lot of people there that were fighting them. And it was a very discouraging time for those that had come back. So we're right at the end of the captivity period. And Zechariah is the prophet that God raises up to encourage the people of Israel. So the book of Zechariah begins with nine dreams. Now, some of these dreams are weird, okay? How many of you have ever had a weird dream? You know, okay. I know I've had a lot of them. But I have favorite dreams, too. My favorite dream is when I fly. Has anybody ever dreamed that you fly? Hey, it's an awesome experience. <laughs> and just before you're about to crash, you always wake up, you know. But that's my favorite dream. I have some weird dreams, too. But I don't, I don't go and tell people about my dreams. I just told you about my dream, but, you know. But Zechariah wrote his dreams down, and, and they really do have order to them. You just have to understand it. So I'm going to talk to you today about one of those dreams. It's going to be in the third chapter of Zechariah. But before I get into that, I just want to share with you why I have these two two squares up here with the cross in between. And that is because over the last four years, God has been helping me filter everything down to where I see everything through the eyes of these two squares, or not the eyes, the, the picture of these two squares. See, this is the kingdom of darkness and this is the kingdom of light. And everybody, you, me, everybody in the whole world, we all start out in the kingdom of darkness. Everything in our world is in the kingdom of darkness. All the governments are in the kingdom of darkness. The institutional church is really in the kingdom of darkness. But God is liberating people one by one and what I'm going to talk about today is how God did that. And he did that through Jesus. So, 
Let's turn to the book of Zechariah, chapter number three. And we're going to talk today about permanent peace. I want to be able to make sure I see everybody here. Permanent peace. So permanent peace can only be found in the kingdom of light. That's this kingdom right here. You see, the culture of the kingdom of light is righteousness, peace, and joy. The opposite of that is in the kingdom of darkness, unrighteousness, discord, disharmony, hatred, evil, bias, bigotry, bitterness. All of that negative stuff is over here in the kingdom of darkness. But you come into the kingdom of Christ, and the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now, there's only one reason that that's possible. And it's because of Jesus, the Son of God, leaving heaven and taking the form of a man, coming down to earth. He left the kingdom of light and came into the kingdom of darkness. He was tested in every way, just like you and me. He was tempted. He was, he was run through the ringer. And he came out white as snow. He was clean because he didn't sin. He's the only human being that has ever lived that didn't sin. So that qualified him. That qualified him to be our substitute. He took our place at Calvary, he died. He became sin for you and me. In other words, he who was innocent took upon himself all of the sin of the whole world and he took it to the cross. And not only did he take it to the cross, but he paid the penalty for that sin and he descended into the lower part of the earth and he tasted spiritual death, spiritual separation from God. Remember the last things he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did you forsake me? And the reason God, he, that Jesus thought that he was being forsaken was because he was separated in that sense from God so that he could take our place. Well, that is what the book or the third chapter of Zechariah is all about. Now, I, I believe I'm probably going to share some things with you this morning that you've never heard before. Is that a possibility? And here's what I want you to do. I want you to be like the Bereans. Now, you, how many of you know who the Bereans were? Raise your hand. 
Okay, a few of you do. The Bereans were a group of people that Paul preached to. And he said about this group of people, he said, the Bereans were more noble than those of Thessalonica because after I preached to them, they went home and searched the scriptures to see whether or not the things that I was saying were true. And so he he honored them. He said, that's what I want everybody to do. And that's what I want you to do with what I'm going to share with you today, because I think it's going to be new for most of you. Because what we have is a picture of Jesus that we'd never, ever, ever hear about. It's a picture of Jesus ascending out of hell. He's raised from the dead by the Spirit of God. And he goes back to heaven. He has to do this because, as we're going to see in Zechariah chapter 3, he has borne the burden of guilt for all of our transgressions, all of our sins, all of our iniquity, everything. So let's take a look at it. We're going to look at Zechariah chapter number three. Now I told you this book has nine dreams in it. And what we're looking at is the fourth of the nine dreams. And all of these dreams are prophetic. And what this dream is a dream about is something that is going to happen 400 years from now. He's writing about it over 400 years before it actually happens. So he has, he's writing this dream that he had. He doesn't really understand what he's writing about, I don't think. I mean, when you, when you look at it, it's, it, it would be understandable to me that he just was obedient to the Lord and, and, and did what the Lord said. So the first part of the book, Zechariah has these dreams, and in verse 1, it says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan at his right side to accuse him. So in this chapter, we see three characters. We see Joshua, who is the high priest. We see the angel of the Lord which is God's personal angel, okay? God has a personal angel that we call the angel of the Lord, and he's there to minister to Joshua. And then we have Satan. So let's take a look at the first character, Joshua. The name means, Joshua, means Jehovah is salvation. That's what that name means. And it's really not talking about a person named Joshua. You see, the only Joshua that Zechariah knew about was the one that was working with Zerubbabel to rebuild the temple. And there's no place in Scripture where we read about a high priest named Joshua. 
but we do read about Jesus. And Jesus' name means Jehovah is salvation. So what we have here is a picture of Jesus. So when you see Joshua, think Jesus. Okay? Secondly, the angel of the Lord is there to direct everything that is going on. Because this is a huge, huge event that is taking place. Now, I know you've never heard of this before, but it's a big deal. And when I get done, you're going to say, my goodness, that was a big deal. Okay? So the third character is Satan. There in heaven. That's the location. All three of these are in heaven. And there are other angels and spiritual beings that are there ministering to Jesus. So let's go on. The Lord said to Satan. Now, what is Satan, Satan doing there? He's there accusing Jesus. Now, how, how can you accuse Jesus of anything? Jesus is perfect. He's innocent. He's never done anything wrong. And yet, Jesus is being accused by Satan for sin because he bore our sin. Not only did he bear our sin, the Bible says he became sin for us. He literally, he so identified with us that he became sin. And this is what Satan was doing. He, you see, Satan thought that he had the victory here a few days earlier when he got the Pontius Pilate to nail Jesus to the cross. The Jews complained about him. Pontius Pilate didn't want to do it, but he did it. And Satan thinks, wow, this is it. Got the victory. Except Jesus went to the cross, died, went to hell, tasted death for us, experienced it, our, that separation from God. And all of this time, Satan thinks he's got the victory until the Spirit of God raises Jesus from the dead. Woo! Big deal. Now Jesus is in heaven, and who's up there in heaven trying to stop this whole thing? Because he no longer has the victory. And he's, this is a last-ditch effort by Satan. And it says he was standing at the right side accusing Jesus. And look at what the angel says. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord who chose Jerusalem rebuke you. Now, here's what I, this is really, really exciting and I have to hold myself down, okay? Because that's the last we hear of Satan. This end of story, all it took was the angel of the Lord rebuking Satan. What do we have to do to resist the devil? 
The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who chose Jerusalem rebuke you. I resist you in the name of Jesus. And what does the devil have to do? What? Oh, come on. You all read the same scripture I did. <laughs> Flee. Why? Because we have authority. We've got the authority to do that. Okay. So the Lord rebuked him. And then he says this. He says, is not this man a burning stick? Snatched from the fire? What's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. He was like a burning stick. He was tasting death for everybody. He was burning for you and me. His passion for us is so great that he was willing to do this. But he was snatched like a burning stick out of a fire. But now he's got a problem. His clothes are filthy. And that's what it says next. Look at here. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. You see, what was filthy? Your sin? My sin? Everybody's sin. The sin of the whole world made him filthy. You know, there are two things that Satan does. I have many things Satan does. But listen, before a person comes to faith in Christ, what does he try to do? He tries to convince that person who is coming to faith in Christ, you don't need Jesus. You're not so bad. I mean, who, look at the good things that you've done. And, and Satan is doing everything he can to keep people, you know, go out and do good deeds. That'll kind of balance out. And maybe you've done some bad things, but, you know, you're not so bad. Don't go to Jesus. Don't go to the cross. Don't accept him as your savior. Okay, that's what he's doing. He's trying to keep people from going to Jesus. He doesn't want people to go to Jesus. But what does he do after you go to Jesus? You get on the other side of the cross and you get into the kingdom of light. And what does he become? He becomes the worst accuser you had. Every time you do anything a little bit wrong, he's there to jump all over you. And he's there to remind you of your past, of the things that you've done, that you're ashamed of, that you're guilty of. If he accuses you of something that you haven't done, so what? You know that's not true. But when he accuses you of something you know that you, he has you dead to rights on, then that's where faith has to kick in. But now, we see that Joshua is dressed in these filthy clothes. 
What does the Bible say about your righteousness and my righteousness? It says, all of our righteousness is like, oh, come on, we got to, everybody, filthy rags. You've been reading the same Bible I have. That's right. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. It's sin. It's a stench in the nostrils of God. You think you're going to go out and do something good to earn your salvation? Forget it. It's a filthy rag as far as God is concerned. But Jesus, right now, is dressed in filthy rags standing before the angel of God. And look what he... Look what happens. The angel said to those who were standing before him, these other angels, attendants, see, I've got a loose picture of what's going on. I don't know who these people were. But look what he says. Take off his filthy clothes. You see, God can't have filthy clothes in heaven. It doesn't work. Why? Because there is no sin in heaven. But for this moment in time, there is because Jesus has ascended to heaven and he's standing there and his clothes are filthy because of you and me and everybody else. Filthy. But he tells these people, beings, creatures, he says, take off the clothes. Take off his clothes. And then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Now, what Zechariah is doing, folks, is giving you and me this incredible portrait or picture, this, this incredible video. This is one of the greatest videos you can ever see. It's a video of Jesus in heaven taking off the garbage of the world, the sin, of the stench, the depravity, the murders, the guilt, the shame. And he says, take it off and put a fine garment on him. What is that fine garment? That fine garment is his robe of righteousness. It's the same robe of righteousness that you and I are clothed in. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So this is the event. Now, is this not exciting? I mean, 
Yeah, let's give God a big hand for this. I mean, wow, there has it. You know, I watched the Roadrunners kill the Mean Green yesterday. That game was nothing compared to the victory that we're seeing in heaven right now. What we are, what we are witnessing because of Zechariah's vision and dream, we're witnessing what happened and how it happened that Jesus took care of the sin. And, and look what it says. Take off his filthy clothes. See, I have taken away your sin and I will put garments on you. Wow. Put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. You see, the angel of the Lord is directing this whole thing. He's got it all under control. Now, I don't know where the sins went. You know, the Bible says that they're buried in the deepest part of the ocean in one place. Did you know that? It talks about our sins. I don't know. Maybe. It doesn't matter. Maybe there's another prophet that I'll study a few weeks or months or years from now that'll tell me about where the sin went. I don't know. I know this. I know this. You know this. And the world needs to know this. It's gone. It's gone. He took it away. Jesus, the Son of God, took our sin and took it away. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. That's right. Hallelujah. Sing a hallelujah. <laughs> Woo. Okay. We're not done. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and take and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among these standing here. Wow. Who is Jesus today? He's the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. He's the one who governs the house of God and every other house he is in charge. He came as the Lamb of God. He's done being the Lamb of God. Now, he's a lion. He's a lion of the tribe of Judah. He's a lion that has everything in your life absolutely 100% under control. Everything. Not only your life, he's got, the, he's got it all figured out. 
So, it says, if you will walk in obedience, okay? Does it, if you look up that word, in, what that really means is since. It can be translated if or since. Now, he's already walked in obedience. He's already been down on earth. He's done everything that the Father asked him, and he has proven himself to be absolutely worthy to be the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. But now is the time when Jesus, this very moment, woo! <laughs> I've been in churches where people get up and run around when they hear something like this, okay? We are looking at the very moment in time through the dream of Zechariah when God is going to say, you're no longer the Lamb of God. You don't have to do that anymore. Now, I'm giving you a new, I'm giving you a new name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee in heaven, every knee on earth, and every knee under the earth is going to bow down to Jesus. And here's where it happened. Zechariah is giving us a picture of it. Woo! Now, look at what he says next. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you who are men symbolic of things to come, I'm going to bring my servant the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua? Now, let me, I don't want to get off on a bunny trail. Jesus is the chief, what? Cornerstone. And it says, this stone has seven eyes. And you go to Revelation 5, 6. These are the seven spirits of wisdom that Jesus is going to rule with. And I will engrave an inscription on it. it says the Lord Almighty. <coughs> Here, yeah. Let's read it together. Let's read, beginning with and. Let's all read it together. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. There you go. There you go. If you were in a black church right now, people would be going crazy. <laughs> Okay, I don't get like this very often, but I am so excited over this stuff. It, it doesn't get any better than this. Okay, when I say getting any, I'm talking about what we're reading about. This, this, is, this is reality. This is real stuff. Okay, I will remove the sin of this land in one day. And he did. 
Now, this is the part that we all, you know, I don't know what your theology is, and you can take it and go home and study it, but I'm going to tell you what my theology is. Every sin that's ever been committed from the past to the future has been taken care of by the blood of Jesus Christ. Every sin. For believers and unbelievers. Everybody. You can go out there and look around and you can see sinners and you can see unbelievers and you can see every kind of person under the sun. Let me tell you, every single one of them have this in common. At the cross, they were forgiven. You've got problems in your life. You've got guilt. You've got shame. I've got some good news for you. It's taken care of. <laughs> There's no more guilt. You don't have to be guilty anymore. Oh, you do have to do one thing. You have to confess. Confess means come into agreement with God. Admit that you lived over here in the kingdom of darkness. <clears throat> Admit that you were doing your own thing. Admit that you were going your own way. Whatever it was. Admit that you had turned your back on God, but now by faith you want to turn around and you want to look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, and you want to confess to him that you need him to forgive you and to wipe away your sin. And he'll tell you, hey, it's already been done. It's already been done. What did he say to that woman? that was brought to him. These Pharisees come, and they've got this woman taken in adultery. Now, how he catch somebody like that as a Pharisee, I don't know, but he brought her to Jesus. And they said, Jesus, the law says, stone this woman. Jesus can't argue with the law because the law is perfect. So Jesus... He's sitting there. Okay, you're right. Whichever one of you is without sin, you throw the first stone. And then he went back and scribbling on the ground. A little while later, he looks up, and there's only one person there in front of him. Who is it? It's a lady. Where are your accusers? They've gone. Jesus looks at her and he says, Neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. That's the end of the story. See, that's the way it is with us. That's his plan. He's taken care of sin. Now, all we've got to do, we've only got to do one little thing, and that's believe and surrender. So, he got rid of it in a single day. You know, in the Old Testament, every year, they would have to go on a day of atonement, and they'd go in there. The priest would go through his ritual, and they'd do the burnt offerings, and they'd do everything, and they'd go in, and boom, it was, it was over. 
for a year. It was only good for one year. Because next year, on the Day of Atonement, they had to do it all over again. Not so with Jesus. In a single day, I will take away your sin. Okay, we got to move on. I'm way behind you. Can I go a little bit? Okay. 400 years later, Jesus is getting ready to start his ministry. And John the Baptist sees him coming. And he looks at Jesus and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the whole world. Takes it away. Doesn't cover it over. He doesn't whitewash it. He takes it away. Look what else it says. Hebrews 2.9. We do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. There is not a person who has ever lived, lives now, or ever will live that Jesus Christ has not tasted death for them. All you got to do is accept the gift. Why? Why will people not accept something so awesome? Ego. Pride. Self-sufficiency, along with numerous other reasons. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who are so messed up that they can't help themselves. Because theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. Jesus did not come to call the righteous to repentance. And if you're here today and if you're so good that you don't need Jesus, I can tell you this, he's not calling you. He said it. I'm not calling you to come to me if you're so righteous that you don't need me. But if you're here today and you're screwed up, if you're here today and your life is messed up, I, it doesn't matter how deep the sin, it doesn't matter how bad you've been, it doesn't matter how heinous the crime that you've committed, the good news is Jesus came for you. He's here for you. And he's got his arms open wide waiting for you to say yes to him. We're going to conclude with this. Colossians 1.21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Once, all of us who are living in the kingdom right now,
That describes all of us. But look what it says. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish. That means no guilt, no shame. Why? Because of the robe that they put on him. Because of the robe that he puts on you that makes you clean and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out from you. Now, there are two kinds of people here today. Some of you are still living in the kingdom of darkness and you've never crossed over from death to life. Jesus said, truly I tell you, and Ben, you can bring your team on up and start. Jesus said, truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me will not be condemned, but you have crossed over from death to life. If you're here today and you don't know, I'm telling you, there's some good news. Today can be your day of salvation if you believe. But you know, I know there's some people here that have already crossed over, but they're still living over here. Why? Well, the deceitfulness of wealth, for one thing. The deceitfulness of worldly attractions. The deceitfulness of moral impurity. The deceitfulness of temporal values. The deceitfulness of bitterness. I heard somebody, I just read this the other day and I got to quote it. It says, bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping it'll kill the other person. Now, is that deceitful? That's deceitful. It doesn't matter. If you're a believer, there's only one thing, one thing, one thing that God is looking for you to do. Surrender. Surrender. We sang that hymn for many, many years. All to Jesus. I surrender all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. That's what God's looking for from us. Amen? Amen.